This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Roblox. All the games on Roblox are created by gamers like you. Play solo with friends in a variety of indie games exclusive to Roblox. Find strategy, platformer, role-playing, tycoon, and Bitcoin mining games today. Head on over to http colon double dash www.roblox.eu today to earn 11% off your first free friend. Roblox, powering imagination. Really nobody who plays Roblox has friends, but couldn't really work it into the ad. True, that's fine. Hello Jason, how are you doing? I'm good. I got so much sleep last night that I feel like I'm ready to just bounce Did you off actually? The so I fell asleep probably like 1.30. I slept till like almost 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I haven't slept that late in so long. Oh, wow, you're hardcore, man. How about you? How are you doing? I haven't seen you hardly all day. Doing pretty good. I got a solid four hours of sleep. I've downed probably five cups of coffee and smelling salts. <laughs> Five cups of smelling salts. Yeah, five cups of smelling salts and one hit of coffee. Man, you are hardcore. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm my body's shaking itself apart, yeah. basically. But have you been doing a lot of fidget spinning? Yeah. yeah. Jay's Two Cents did a video on how to build a PC-related fidget spinner, and I was like, well, almost unsubscribed. Yeah. And I've been getting, like, ads for fidget spinners and, like... See, there's something, it's... If fidget spinners were actually what they're called, fidget spinners, then I wouldn't have much of a problem with them. It's the fact that it's now a fashion item. Not only a fashion item, it's an, it's an accessory and it's an excuse to be distracting in public. And, like, But I feel like it's only really a fashion item if you're like part of a specific group of people. Oh, for sure. It's definitely yeah. part, a branch off... It's the shallower waters of the everyday carry movement. Yeah. The guys who spend $200 on a pocket knife yeah. because you got to have a good blade, man. This is Damascus steel. You seen this? Like, look at the look at the oxidization that they got on this piece. And I mean, I understand. And they call, it, they call everything pieces. That's a nice piece, man. I understand that people with cancer have to live their life a certain way that's sort of different than the rest of us, but... I just don't know that they really need to broadcast it that loudly. Yeah, I don't think that anybody needs to do that. Yeah. Um, that stuff is contagious, you know. Hey, Ben. This one's for you. Chatter music intro. Two, one, two, three. Ready? So today I actually found this great... I should share the web address. It's really weird that we've been doing this for like almost a half of a year. I know. Wait, when will we be... Because 52 weeks in... Be episode divide, 26. No, and then divide 13. that... 13. Is this episode, episode 12? Oh, nice. Man, so the next episode will be our sixth month. And we one. might have Craigie Baby on. We'll see. That's true, yeah. we um, got to find something for him to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I know. He really has been listening to Renegade by Styx. I played that song while we were on the retreat, and he was like, who is this? He's like, this is amazing. I'm not even making this up. And then on Wednesday, he said to me, he was like, I've had that song on repeat like all oh week. Oh my word. So maybe we should review. Irish people love Styx. What can I say? Oh. Sorry, I, excuse me. I, my hand slipped to the piano. There. See what people don't don't. You're understand. aboard the Good Ship Brothership, the only arts podcast that covers music, film, literature, video games, and poltergeist activity. I'm Jason, and this is my spooky brother Grant covering the poltergeist. I'm very scared. Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, I just want to get the intro out of the way. Yeah, that is what we're supposed to do. Uh, uh, I feel a little... like I, I, It's just the tiredness, but feel I do feel loose. slightly unhinged. I feel sweaty. That's why I, I unleashed the primal scream at the beginning of the podcast. Okay. Um, I had to get it out. Yeah. Okay, so today, everybody, we are going to be talking about... Uh, something kind of exciting. I'm quite excited to do this, actually. Yeah. Although I wish that we had watched, uh, really? Dude, we just, no, put your shirt back on. No, put it back on. <laughs> I'm so sweaty. Dude, we're literally four minutes into the pot. Put your shirt back on. So at what point can I not have it on? Like, when we're past the halfway mark. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I got a little ahead of myself. Moses. 
Guys, you can't you can't imagine what I put up with over here. <laughs> Trying to take his clothes off all the time. Jeez. Um Okay, uh these Okay, so today we're talking about kind of something that's a little twofold, which is a movie called Blade Runner, which is a fantastic uh movie, one of my all-time favorites. You think it's a fantastic and, movie. And uh the book on which it's based. Uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Uh, the, uh, uh, why, don't, why don't I just read the Wikipedia for both of them now? Do it. You think? Yeah, because this isn't going to be as much of a it's like, not be review a topic, one, one review one. another. Yeah. It's going to be far more of a conversation about both So of them. since the book came first, I'll read the book. Yeah, okay. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Re- and this really bothered me. Retitled Blade Runner, do Androids oh. Dream of Electric Sheep? Come on. In some later they also changed the date. Did you hear that? Where it's set? It used to be set in, I think, 92, and then they changed it to 2021 uh, later. Well, like, it, you, I mean, the, that's fine. But why would you modify that? Well, the book was, or the movie was shot after the book was printed. Yes. The book was printed in like. No, 60... I mean, like, later printings of the book say that the book is set oh, in really? 2021 oh, that's instead weird. of 1992. That's, that is strange. Yeah, see? 92 or later editions, 20. Uh, that's super weird. Yeah. They must have done that just Sorry, because. Keep going. Anyway. Uh, in some later print, is a science fiction novel by American writer Philip K. Dick, first published in 68, uh-huh. which is kind of wild. The novel is set in a post apocalyptic San Francisco where Earth's life has been greatly damaged by nuclear global war. Many animal species are endangered or extinct from extreme radiation poisoning, so that owning an animal is now a sign of status and empathy. Which I find very interesting. An attitude encouraged towards animals, and indeed towards all living things. The book served as the primary basis for the 1982 film Blade Runner. The main plot follows Rick Deckard, a bounty hunter who is faced with killing, or retiring as they refer to it, six escaped Nexus 6 model androids. While a secondary plot follows John Isidore, a man of subpar IQ who aids the fugitive androids. In connection with Deckard's mission, the novel explores the issue of what it is to be human. Unlike humans, the androids are claimed to possess no sense of empathy. And now for Blade Runner. May I? What's our policy for spoilers for these? Because I feel like they're both classic enough that we can probably talk about the whole thing. No, no. No? No. We're not going to? No. Okay. Because so many, so much, so... Okay, so many. So many times when I've been listening to people do reviews of quote-unquote classics, they're like, oh, it's fun, we'll spoil it. And then it's something I may have not, may not have seen. So we'll remain nebulous. That's I think true. it's safe to talk about things like character changes. Yeah. We'll avoid any specific plot points as much as we can. If we hit on anything that might be a spoiler, we can go back and redact or put a spoiler warning in front we of it. We do love to redact. That being said, if you have any time, at least watch... Uh, Blade Runner because it's not that I don't think it's that long of a movie no it's I think it's around two hours right 117 117 minutes minutes. so like that's short I mean that's like two hours true yeah true yeah um anyway so Blade Runner I'm not gonna read this whole thing Blade Runner is a 1982 American neo-noir science fiction film directed by Ridley Scott who directed Alien and that sort of thing and starring Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, and Edward James Almos. The film, written by Hampton Fancher and David Peoples, is a loose adaptation of the 68 novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, as we know by Philip K. Dick. The film depicts a dystopian Los Angeles, which generally, in, geez, in which genetically engineered replicants, which are visually indistinct, indistinguishable geez, from adult humans, are manufactured by the powerful Tyrell Corporation. The use of replicants on Earth is banned, and they are exclusively utilized for dangerous or menial work off in off-world colonies like Mars. Replicants who defy the ban and return to Earth are hunted down and killed or retired by special police operatives known as Blade Runners. The plot focuses on a group of recently escaped replicants led, led by Roy Batty, Rucker Hauer, and the burnt-out ex- the burnt-out expert Blade Runner Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, who, who reluctantly agrees to take on one more assignment to hunt them down. During his investigations, Deckard begins a relationship with Rachel Young, an advanced... Rachel Young. Rachel, played by Sean Young. Don't an get too spoiler. replicant who causes him to question his and the replicant's humanity. That's not a spoiler. No, that's fair. That's uh, pretty obvious. And as it says here... Oh. Blade Runner initially polarized critics. Like, it didn't do very well in the box offices, like, at all. But it, this was interesting here. Um, uh, 
where is this? Director's Cut was released in 92 after strong response to work print screenings. Uh, it made it one of the first films released on DVD hmm. because of how uh, how heavily in demand the VHS was. And they say that resulted in a basic disc with mediocre video and audio quality. Uh, and it has been selected for preservation by the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of, st- like, uh, To Pimp a Butterflies mm-hmm. was selected for that, too. I want to hear your thoughts first, because to give backstory, um, I think what happened first was Grant watched Blade Runner probably some years ago. And then more recently, like a year ago, got more into it, and I don't know how many times you watched it, probably like 10 times or something, I don't know. You think? Not that many, Not that maybe many? six. Six times? Um, and I've watched the movie three or four times. I read the book a while ago, Grant just, re- Grant just read it for the first time recently, um, and then in preparation for this, I reread extensive notes of like the entire book's happenings this morning. Which should, in a lot of ways, tell you more about... Yeah, it's a cool the, overview. Uh, the book than the book itself. I'm also, while you start giving your notes, I'm going to look up and find the website I used. And why don't you grab my beautiful Blu-ray yeah, copy okay. of Blade Runner itself? Because there's, yeah. I don't know, it just, I like having having the reviewed item sitting yeah. here. We don't even need the puppet. Uh, I'm so, sorry, little yeah. puppet. Where's my, where's my book anyways? You mean this book? Yeah, that sitting, one. Sitting right on the table, literally yeah. right in front of you? Exactly. Okay, so... I'm not quite sure how I'm going to dive into this, but but we'll go kind of dovetailing off what you were saying. I have watched the Blade Runner movie a number of times. It's one of my... I don't think... It, after I watched it for the first time and then a couple subsequent times uh, following that, I consider it to be probably my favorite movie of all time. Now I don't <laughs> think that's the case, but that is not in any way a mark against it. I, it really hasn't diminished... It would be in my top three, for sure. There's just different movies like Embrace of the Serpent, where Mm -hmm. I'm like, that movie is just so good. Anyway, I don't need to get into that. Suffice it to say, it is one of my very favorite movies, and certainly, I think, probably still my favorite science fiction movie. Uh, When people talk about grounded stuff, which they're obsessed with now, in, you know, grounded superheroes, and grounded this, and grounded that, this is a movie that feels truly... Truly and honestly grounded, I think. And the book does as well, too. Yep. As well, too. Holy. The book does as well. Shout so, out to Raj. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Raja Stone, for indoctrinating me with bad grammar. Um, so the movie is based on the book. This is my conclusion. In the same way that you would watch a film and it, it, the dreaded phrase, based on a true story, would yeah. come up. And then you Google the true story, and you're like, oh, okay, so about 10% of that was real. Yeah. I think of, uh, we were both homeschooled, and back in the olden days, one of the book studies we did was on uh, the real-life story of Eric Liddell. Incredible story. It was a great book, the bi- the biography of him. Years later, watched Chariots of Fire. Still hold, that was one of my least favorite movies of all it's time. It's a terrible movie. Nothing to do with the book. Terrible. That's just a little anecdote yeah. for free. Um. So, I, don't, I really don't know where to begin in terms of comparing the two and, like, contrasting and finding the differences, because there are so many. In the novel, Rick Deckard, Deckard being the, the Blade Runner, the uh, android killer, mm. Hunter, he has a wife. In the movie, he doesn't. Um, in the novel, he's kind of a well-established, but sort of more up-and-coming Blade Blade Runner in the in the film he's retired and yeah. haggard and he was the best and he but comes in, out of retirement yeah yeah but in the but in the book he wasn't um the term Blade Runner appears nowhere in the book does it I, not no I don't know where they got the term Blade Runner from I'm gonna Google that as you keep uh, going I'm just trying to think in the book much is made of um, owning animals. The character of Deckard is carrying around... What's it called? It's a... Anyway, whatever. Uh, I can't remember. I don't Christies? know what you're talking about. He carries around this catalog oh, uh, with him all the time. And it's... Shoot, uh, I was reading about this today. Keep talking all Yeah. He, he carries around this catalog with him all the time in which the prices of real animals are listed and he daydreams and obsesses over owning um, a real animal. And he... Uh, 
at the beginning of the book, we find him with an electric sheep because his uh, his genuine animal died and he had it replaced. And an electric animal is seen as somewhat shameful yeah, because it's a fakery of, of the real thing. And his neighbor has a horse and he's jealous of the horse, etc., etc. Um, in the movie, um, a very brief passing mention of... Uh, fake electrical animals. I don't think they're even electric. I think they're like genetically built animals. When no, because they have control. Oh, sorry, you're talking in, about in the, the film. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. in the film. Um, and it's like used as a clue in uh, in a mystery which Deckard's trying to solve. I mean, right they now. mentioned it a few times. The whole electric animals and stuff in the film, but. They do, but it's definitely not nowhere, a plot point. It's nowhere near a plot yeah. point. They just say, is that a real owl? Of course it's not a real owl. And then mm-hmm. they leave it alone. A little tip of the hat. Um, trying to find like some more... What are some differences that you can think of? I mean, I would say the whole, the whole latter half of the book is entirely different than the movie for the most part. The whole book is different um, than the movie. In the book, there are six escaped androids. He must retire... In the movie, there are yeah, only four, four yeah, which I really appreciate because I yeah. feel like if you had put all six in the movie, which is probably what they would try to would do have turned today, into Kill Bill. it would have turned <laughs> into Kill Bill. It would have either been like rushed or had too much action. Um, and what I appreciate about the book is it's only around 200 pages long, yeah. but it doesn't have much action, and yet it always feels tense because I find that... Uh, 230. Yeah. Tension and action are oftentimes in opposition in a good book, right? Like, the less actual running and gunning there is, the more the tension builds. Yeah. And I feel like this book is perfect when it comes to this. Okay, now let me hop in and yeah. do my take of the book, uh, my, my reading of it, literally. Uh, so, the, book, the book's written in, in a style which is strangely minimal it's it feels older i think this this book has aged more than the film has aged um i disagree but, but not in a negative way i think it's gathered some charm and uh and i think that it's kind of plain muscular pure explanatory style mm-hmm. makes it an easy read you know i really could have done with some more um prosaic uh description of the setting the city because you really didn't get much of that at all like at all you never really got too much of a this is the world that this is in i never got that feeling but see i actually in a way disagree with you because i actually think that the style it's written in really lends to the narrative itself i think that the style is i'm not saying that it doesn't i think it does okay i thought you said you wished for more Description for me, I kind of like its Spartan, like um, minimalist writing style in a sense because I feel like it matches the sort of weird life that they lead. But just basic writing, I need to know where these things are taking place in order to fully invest myself in these characters in this world. You need to first build up the world. Yeah, it just helps when you can say. Oh, the sky was you know an ominous color or something. You don't have to go into pages and pages of Cormac McCarthy esque, you know, yeah. description. But just a little bit. It was missing a little bit of that because I had I found myself having trouble picturing this setting. You Interesting. Know? Uh, and you can do a lot with with that sort of thing, explaining surroundings or stuff. You can get a lot of emotions and thoughts across that you can't in just dialogue. But you know that that being said i didn't really find the writing style to be too much of a hurdle but it is definitely dated in the writing style it though the vernacular isn't that strange the dialogue is somewhat unnatural yeah it's very unnatural but that's not really a big issue because i feel like the dialogue in the film is even more unnatural to be honest i i don't think so but maybe it's just because you hear it spoken yeah that's possible too but anyway um the visions uh or the visions like the picture of the future that uh philip dick shows us is very retro future yeah know, like I very love much so yeah it's a it's a great classic you know there's flying cars and there's empathy machine or empathy not 
Penfield Mood Organ. Yeah, Mood Organ, which is a uh, implant sort. It seems to be an implant sort of thing with a. There's a thing that you can adjust a setting on that makes you feel certain emotions. So you wake up and you dial in the ready to go off to work and do a great job emotion. Yeah. And that's and there's like a manual with all these different. That's and, that's very cool. I think that uh, Philip. K. Dick was heralded a lot from what I, because I've watched, you know, documentaries on the making of Blade Runner and stuff, and he's heralded as such a visionary in terms of uh, seeing the future, and I completely disagree. I don't think that that's, like, in any way a mark against it, but people say, it's uncanny how, you know, (laughs) how accurate, and I'm like... I never thought I'd grip these handles and watch an old man walk up the hill, but yet here we are. sounded weird. It sounded really weird. No, actually. Not really. Time to grip the handles and watch the old man. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't think that it's at all um, prof- prophetic. No. Uh, but that's, you know, completely It's no fine. 1984. Now, one thing that the book made me realize that the film is slightly lacking is uh, in, the, in the book, his wife, Iran, which is a weird name, or Iran. Although that's one thing they got right about the future. Nobody can... Yeah. Be just a normal. No one's yeah, named Joe. Gonna have a normal. If your name is Joe, write in and tell us. Hey, I had a coworker named Joe. That's good. He's weird. Was he a good guy? Uh, he's fine. Okay. Um, so his wife represents, especially in the beginning stages of the book, complete pure emotion. She refuses to use the Penfield mood organ and have her mood altered. She is purposefully dialing in a depressed feeling because she feels like that's missing. That her life has become artificial and uh lacking depth because of the the stimuli and then um the kind of love triangle thing i guess that happened all the weird relationship that happens between deckard his wife deckard and the android rachel rachel represents complete um lack of emotions rationality yeah uh and that balance is really really nice and it's a very blunt force um, way to display it with two women. Yeah, it's it's a very you know simple device, but it really worked for me yes. in, the, in the book. I thought that that was smartly done, and it didn't hit you over the head with it ever. And it was something that I recognized and realized like halfway through the book, and that makes that a more powerful revelation. Um, there was the one scene I know I kind of mentioned it to you in in. Uh, I say this without making it any sort of a plot spoiler. I guess I it. I guess it's not much of a plot spoiler because it it never really purports to be reality. But the fake police station, quote unquote. Yeah. I'm I'm so confused by that. It really came out of left field for me. It's like a third of the way through the book, or maybe yeah. halfway through the book, and it was just this weird, random like sidestep that the book took for a little bit yeah and jaunted down this weird kind of trippy path i think that was a little out of place and like yeah it didn't really have anything to do with and i was just confused when i started reading that section i was confused when i ended it and did i miss a page somewhere exactly and after i finished the book i was still confused about it so that's definitely a mark against it It was just that whole section i have no idea what it was trying to do or I was rereading. And it was never resolved either. When reading the summary, I was reminded of that part. Um, and I mean, they the place I, I read it did a great job of explaining what all's going on and stuff. But at the end of the day, it was still just like, where did this come from and where did it go? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's that. I don't even, I don't even really know what else to say about that without getting too too yeah, spoilery. Yeah. No, we and we won't. But there is a section in the book. Which I read and went, what? Yeah. What? Like, none of this is really making... And then you never went, oh, later on. Yeah. And now, and one thing I will say for the book, for the characters in the book, is Mrs. Deckard, Iran, uh, in the final few pages, does this amazing oh, yeah, yeah. but subtle character pivot. And initially, of course, because she's the emotional center, the emotional anchor of the text uh i really hated her because she was just seemed whiny and yeah. uh whiny yeah basically yeah and then in the final few pages you you come to understand her and yeah. it was a really um beautifully 
underwritten, underplayed um, character twist mm-hmm. that really impressed me, and it was a very, very elegantly handled by yeah. Philip okay. K. Dick. Uh, so I, I quite like that. The animal, the electric animal stuff, and the uh, like, the real animal stuff is interesting to me. I liked that, but I found it like a little unconvincing the way this, you know, hardened cop is carrying around a catalog and all he ever thinks about is animals. Although I I I don't I don't know. I think part of it was just that it didn't it failed to do some basic world building for me yeah. in terms of just descripting descripting describing the place and getting me into that setting. Mm-hmm. And so then I didn't quite always believe that this guy's obsessed with getting these animals and stuff. Yeah, um, I really Google what that catalog's called because I wish I could remember. I thought it was called huh. Christie's, but that's a no. real auction house yeah. that sells no. real, probably animals. I actually loved that whole I know you thing did. because yeah. I think it's a awesome parallel between... Um, so you have the the electric animals and the real animals, and then the androids and the humans. And I think the comparison between them is really interesting. And I think it it kind of hits you in the face, like throughout reading the book, um, just because functionally there's no difference between the animals, and it shouldn't really be something that needs to be kept secret. But yet nobody wants their neighbor to know they have a fake animal because it's looked down upon and seen as less than just well, it's the same way that because. if you had a fake louis vuitton bag or something yeah. you wouldn't necessarily want all after you showed it off to everybody you wouldn't necessarily want to go yeah this is yeah. yeah but then also you have the androids who functionally physically are identical to humans with the exception of like their vagus nerve um but yet they are required to hide their true identity from all of the humans because they'll be hunted down basically yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, and I, I track with that. I, I think that there was just... I never got, like, fully immersed in in the world of the book, and part of that is just the writing style. It's very skeletal, very um, bare bones. There's no prose in those pages whatsoever. It's very much... It reads kind of like a, a pulpy adventure uh, book, but there's a lot more... Uh, thought put into this oh yeah moving moving on to blade runner the movie i'm not quite done with the book but we'll just go back and forth yeah yeah moving back to the or over to the movie blade runner now um the opening that first shot it bursts onto this hazy polluted crazed looking cityscape and in one second you go i know where this is yeah i can feel it i can taste the it's an oppressive atmosphere the pollution in the air and that's what the book is missing in one second in like you could look at the at at a screen cap of that and you could know what the street would look like you could you know smell the air and uh and breathe in the the heavy pollution and that sort of thing and it's just that kind of basic bang this is where we are uh and and then you go from there yeah where I sort of disagree, and I think that the book probably would benefit from a bit more descriptors, but I think that the book, um, the atmosphere of the city and indeed the book itself is one of sort of like lifelessness or maybe half-life would be a better term. Um, and so I think in that regard, I kind of like the lack of description because it seems like a very dead place and like oppressive in terms of the like nuclear fallout tell me it's oppressive through what how it looks tell me that the clouds are like sagging down and they're heavy and they're like bloated and gray it just don't like instead of just not even talking about i think they do talk about it though to an extent not really not really i'm just amazed that ridley read this book ridley scott and then made this film and then when Philip K. Dick saw the movie he was like unnerved by how accurate it was to his vision. Yeah. I like that's a Which wonder is very to interesting. Me. It's a yeah. wonder to me how he got that level of detail. Or maybe he just flew out of the seat of pants. Or maybe Philip lied. Yeah. Anyway, the soundtrack to the film is one of the best soundtracks I ever I think. This like really uh This kind of soaring, 
uh, oriental inflected synth thing that just meshes with that hazy uh, modified retro retrofitted future look. Yeah. Um, I think the the film looks absolutely astounding, and like every time I watch it. I'm just blown back by how yeah. good it still looks to me. And there are no... There's only one scene where he walks out onto his balcony with, like, a blanket over his shoulders where I go, eh, that doesn't look that great. Like, I can tell where the set painting starts and where the actual physical yeah. set ends. But for the most part, like, it... I find it completely immersive. As immersive or more immersive, indeed, than, like, any film that could be made today or ha- not could be made today yeah, sorry is ha- is you know normally been- like you watch parts of the caribbean this looks way better than pirates of the caribbean here's way better here's where we disagree so much um i gotta try and try and speak my mind well here this is a gorgeous movie and i think it almost never puts a foot wrong in terms of looking beautiful and complimenting the story and indeed the visual storytelling and world building is just like just phenomenal and i think that the movie basically always looks gorgeous but i don't know about immersive because i think that a lot of like the scenes of the spaceships flying around and stuff they look fantastic and and they're very artistic in the way they're presented but i don't think they look realistic or like what it would look like if that were real no but the the fact is the film is cohesive with itself yeah. You know, you never are on on a ground eye view of Harrison Ford walking along an actual physical set with real rain coming down and smoke blowing along and then it cuts to the miniature model of the flying car flying along and it's never jarring. Yeah, that's you know, true. that's what I'm saying. The film never, you know, jars and it's there's never really a jagged edge as far as that goes. You never really see the it just that's what's immersive to me about it yeah you know um you were saying last time we watched it that you didn't think like say the buildings and stuff looked real yeah but that's the that's in this world they look real i it's impossible to say that doesn't look real because nothing that crazy exists you know i guess it's just um and i don't even know if this is a bad thing because i kind of i kind of get irritated when people I don't know, say like a car jumps off a bridge and people's like, that's not realistic. Because I'm like, well, it's a story. It's not really supposed to be. But at the same time, I contradict myself because it kind of bugs me that I feel like it just doesn't sell to me that, not that this isn't real, but I want to believe that this could be real. And I feel like as beautiful as it is, and and it is shot so well, it just doesn't make me think like, wow, it looks like this could exist one day, even in an abstract sense. I, I completely disagree. Like, I think that the the humanity of the setting of the city is like so evident it's oozing out of every single frame yeah and the only the only scenes that really detach me at all are those spaceship scenes because even though i think they're cool like i said they just don't convince me see i don't get that but all of the like when he's towards the beginning deckard's like sitting at some i guess like a restaurant a noodle bar a noodle bar um in like this seedy area, which it seems that all of Earth is seedy, since most of the upper class has uh, colonized Mars. But when you're down there and, like, you see the clouds and, like, the neon lights and, like, the smog drifting through the streets, like, it looks perfect. And that is that is when the movie sells itself to and me. And I, I really... I've never watched um, any of the special effects and been like, ugh. ugh. Yeah, that, that like, I actually agree with. Well, but you don't, because you just or, said I guess you not... don't like the the cars and stuff. Well, well I guess but for me, I look at that and I look at the opening shot, which is a massive shot of the entire city, mm-hmm. and that looks so real to me. It, it's not even that it looks real; it's that it looks so good. Yeah, it looks so right. And you watch this, and then you watch like the one of the early Star Wars movies. Oh man, this, this there's no comparison. Yeah. the early Star Wars movies for how it looks. But this was made quite a while after, was it not? Well, there there are three initial Star Wars movies. Yeah. Well, uh, so when was uh, four made? Because this is eighty two. Four was one of, like in the nineties, man. Like that no. was one of the. 
Yeah. Wasn't for the first one? So 77 was the first one. 19, wait, wait. 1980 and 83. 83, Return of the Jedi. This was in 82. So, no, A New Hope was the first one released, wasn't it? Or was six? Star Wars. I, I don't know. I don't know Star Wars, Wars very well. well. Jeez. 77, 80, and then 83. So we'll just go with 83 because okay. that's the closest okay. one. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, there's yeah, there's really... Yeah, it okay, looks... Scroll up. I want to see when the New Hope was... Uh, this this is that a new be it. I think this is a new hope. Yeah. Okay, seventy-seven. Yeah, so quite a while. Before. But Return of the Jedi. This blows Return of the Jedi out of the water oh, in terms yes. of how it looks. In um, terms of everything, frankly. Yeah. Um, <sighs> okay, there are weird differences between the book and the yeah. in the film, namely names, namely yeah. names. So the character, uh, what was his name? John Isidore, who a man of subpar IQ who aids the fugitive androids. He kind of hides them in his apartment, which he does to an extent in the film. But his name's J. S. Sebastian, yeah, and, which instead I don't of J. R. Really Isidor, yeah. And he in the book he works for the an electric animal repair shop. Mm-hmm. In the film, he makes he programs DNA for androids or yeah. something, which is interesting because he's in the, stupid in the in the book, yeah, yeah. The reason he's on Earth is because he's been affected by radiation to the extent that his IQ is below the cutoff for people who can go to Mars. So yeah. he's stuck on Earth. Um, so that that's just like a weird... Like, there's yeah. some differences where I just think, you know, why did, why? You, why yeah. did you change that? Uh, like, it doesn't detract from either, but it's just a strange... Because the androids all have the same name. Same names. Uh, uh, do they? Yeah. Yeah. For sure? Yeah. Okay. Pris... Chris, Chris Stratton is, is Roy Batty. Roy in the Beatty, book. Yeah, but in the in the book, Roy Beatty has a wife. Yeah, yeah, and which the, is weird because they're androids, but whatever. Yeah, but in the uh, in the film, he's kind of with Chris a little bit. I think. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so there are some weird differences like that. Um, now things. Okay, so. Um, those are all the differences I I can think of right now. Yeah. Um, weird names. <laughs> Make sure we're still recording. Yes. Okay, so now for things I like more from the film. We talked about some things I like more from the book, namely the fact that he's got a wife and she's the emotional, emotional center. Rachel's the blah, 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 and the uh, character pivot in the end. Really like all that stuff. Also, I feel like the book's ending, it kind of fizzles out a little bit. I disagree. I love the ending. It fizzles out, and then it, and then it ends well. But I felt like it fit. Mm-hmm. I, well, no, I, no, scratch that. I like yeah, the, the whole when he's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I really uh, liked. So things that I like more in the film. Uh, oh, hey, he just footsie me underneath the table. Would you um, eat the moon if it were made of sperm? So the the things I like in the film. Roy Beatty, the leader of the androids, meets with his creator at a certain stage and has a conversation, and I think that conversation is amazing. Yeah. I think that that does, in one short scene, what most of this book was trying to say. Uh, in terms of what do the androids want, and I think it did it in a convincing way that didn't feel especially contrived. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, uh, the Rutger Hauer, who acts out Roy Beatty, is... Probably the best actor in the movie. Yeah, which I think is pretty universally accepted yeah. at this point, uh, just because of his chilling performance, his final speech to yeah. in the movie. Um, but the conversation between Beatty and Tyrell, those two characters, I think is important. Yeah, and it does a great service to the themes of both the book and the film. Um, that being said, with Roy Beatty, there's not it's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie. One of the things that I noticed when we were... What? I just have a funny thing to point out. One of the things that I noticed when we were watching it this uh, latest time is that in one of the conversations between J.S. and Beatty, the lip syncing for Beatty is, like, way off. Like, it's a a shot of, like, part of his jaw, and he's talking with with J.S., and J.S. is sitting there, and you can see him, and and, uh, Beatty is talking, but you can clearly see his jaw is not moving. Like the guy, the huh. Rucker Howard was not talking in that shot, and that really, I I just noticed that the last time. I was like, oh geez, oh no. So that that was like one of the only awkward. But anyway, I just say that because that, that I just came to that in my notes. Anyway, um, the confrontation 
between the last of the androids in the book is, in my mind, almost inarguably inferior to the confrontation between Deckard and Beatty in the film. In the film, there's this, like, legendary scene now, of course, but I love the confrontation between the two of them. It's such a weird, quote-unquote, fight, which is basically, and I don't think this is really a spoiler, it's a game of hide-and-seek between Beatty and Deckard in this dilapidated, falling-down apartment building, and uh, Deckard's trying to escape, and he's crawling through, like, a deteriorated patch of ceiling and they're tr- he's and you're disoriented and you don't know where he's going and it's just weird it's completely strange but it's i just love it like it's yeah. it feels really believable and that's back to one of the things that i i really connect with about this film is how how much i kind of feel like i'm in that situation Okay. Pretty much at all times. Yeah. Um, and I think the powerful thing at the end of the film... This will be a, a light spoiler, but it's really just a, like a uh, character motivation spoiler. Mm-hmm. Is that at the end of the day, Beatty the android has more humanity than Deckard the human. Ridley Scott, Deckard is not an android. He is a human, you idiot. That's a spoiler. I wouldn't say that. What do you mean? No, it's not a spoiler. I guess it's not. not it's not said in the film. I guess in the film that's okay. Like it's completely left open, and then, and then Ridley Scott's like, "Guess what? He's an android," and everybody's like, "No, no." He's not. Um, but uh, at the end, Beatty the android has more humanity than the human because he doesn't kill him. He doesn't want to kill him. You know, he wants to feel alive. He wants Decker to feel fear, though. Also. He does, I think, to he a He says sense. that. He's yeah, like, he does, yeah. Um, but he doesn't... Like, he could have killed him. Yeah. Well, yeah. then he wouldn't be feeling fear. I think he just wanted Deckard to, like, suffer mentally as much as he could. I don't think that he really wanted him to suffer. I think he wanted him to understand. I think he wanted... The, I think he wanted a relationship between him and Deckard. I don't think that he wanted to antagonize Deckard. I don't think he Maybe. did antagonize Deckard. Because he saved him and then gave him th- that lovely speech. Yeah. You know? Uh, which, you know, what, whatever. Now we've just what can spoiled we say? the whole it's amazing. basically. No, we haven't. Nobody knows not. what happens. I guess not. You whiny little sniveling We've said quite a animal. bit too much. Yes, we have not said quite a bit too sure. much. Okay. You would not okay. quite a bit too All much. Right. Alright. We'll okay. Bridge. Can I have a talking stick? Sure. Also, Deckard is not a replicant. Um, Blade Runner, I'm going to get this out of the way initially, is one of the great classics of all time. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but I definitely love it. Um, I think we've already said everything that needs to be said about most of its strengths, so I'm mostly just going to talk negatively about it. Bear in mind, I love the film, but we've already covered the good things, basically. Um, The film has some amount of ambiguity that I don't like. Like we talked about, is Deckard a replicant? Is he not? I feel like now Ridley Scott's playing that off as a plot point, but I feel like that was probably just something he never tied up initially. The the uh, the hint at that, at the ambiguity, you don't like the ambiguity or you do? Do not. See, I feel... Th- but here's the thing. It's a neo-noir. This Blade Runner as a film, very much noir. Noir. And noir is all about... Noir meaning dark, of course. Noir. Uh, noir is all about the darkness, both of the theme and of the, you know, the actual film itself. And ambiguity is like part of noir. Like you can't, that's just the, that's the kind of film. But here's the thing. If you read the book, there are certain topics that maybe we can talk about after the show. Not going to talk about it now. Um, oh, here he goes. But in the book, there are things that they don't say explicitly but if you think hard and you're smart about it, you can reasonably come to come to uh, fact-based conclusions. In the book, I feel like they just don't give you enough information to do that. I think the book respects your intelligence enough that 
you can actually extend what happens in the book by drawing conclusions from you're information just saying they give that you. This, the movie's too ambiguous. How can this be too ambiguous and you're saying you like the ambiguity of the book? Because I feel like the book equips you to figure out what happens. But that's like, also the fact that it's a book. Like you yeah, can't work maybe. the same the same tricks in a film. I think you can. I no, think that you can't because you can't go. He thought this in a movie the same way you can say, uh, Roy thought he was uh, pregnant. Okay, but he wasn't. Another thing that I think is just completely dumb about Blade Runner, and this is kind of a minor thing. I pointed this out to you last time. At one point, um, Roy Batty calls out to Deckard by name. I have no idea how he would know Deckard's name. There's no. Okay, why are you? There's no point where they talk about him on screen. Feet. There's no time when they're introduced or when like when JS like talks about like See, I just don't I'm, know how I'm, he would know who I'm that was. Thinking, I've been thinking long and hard on that, and I feel like there almost certainly has to be a logical explanation. I don't think there is. I think there has to be. Um, namely, it could easily be, you know. Batty is a very like hyper intelligent android. He could have easily done a little research, done a little stalking, discovered who this Deckard dude was as he was, you know, on the job. That's a theory. I mean, I I get what you're saying. I think it's just poor exposition or lack of exposition. If it's something like that's the case, because then well, you Jason, watch it. And... I'm I'm inferring from the rest of the presented evidence, just like you did in the book. But there's like no presented evidence. You're saying. I'm guessing that maybe he researched it. Well, I mean, what, like, I think that it just doesn't seem like, it, it just seems like a real weird thing for them to overlook. I think overlook. it's super weird. Um, we, I'd have, I think we should watch the film again together sometime. Maybe so, And yeah. And see, because I just feel like there has to be some qualification for that familiarity. Yeah, I just think it's if they're if it's there, not readily apparent. Um and then also with Blade Runner, so Rucker Howard's performance is like phenomenal. Harrison Ford does a good job. Uh what's the actor of Pris? What's her name? Do you know? Uh yes. Um Darn it, she's in Kill Bill. Daryl Hannah? Yeah, Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. Look at me. Um I think she did a great job. I feel like a lot of the cast was not great to be honest um i looked up the name of this man i wish i could remember his name most of them well named three of them i think that the first replicant the guy you see in the intro do not like his performance at all feel like it was decently lackluster well here's the thing though he's a dumb replicant like he's perfect like he's really dumb like he's got a very low iq he's used for like picking up boxes literally that's his job i know i think he does a pretty good job in that opening scene where he's being interrogated of looking like super panicked and stupid yeah i guess that's but what, if he that's what you want from the guy can androids panic if they don't experience emotions i guess they kind of do they kind of do in the book yeah they do in the book they totally do in the book They're yeah but we're talking about the movie i'm just saying well the, the book the movie is based on the book jason but i would say that the in the book androids play a very different role than in the movie I would say they're far... It's a little bit more convoluted in the book. Yeah, but you have to... Like, we can't... I mean, we... You can judge one is just a film and one is just a book. But also, since since the nature of this podcast, The Good Ship Brothership... Hey, how's it going? um, And the nature of, you know, uh, the fact that one's based on the other, you can you know, infer certain things from the book and apply them to the film. Yeah, that's fair. But I just think it's also... um, I don't think I. I you shouldn't it, need let me to. put it this way. Well, well, we are. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here to do. Let me put it this way. I don't think that the that uh, I can't remember that guy's name. I don't think that his performance is. Uh, it doesn't take me out of the film at all. At all. Uh, he's definitely not good. I'm just saying. I think it was a lackluster performance. I'm not saying he's horrible. Yeah, I mean he's not supposed to be like a main character mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Although it would be nice if you felt like a little more, it would be nice if you just felt a little more towards him. Yeah, I'll exactly. Um, Brion James—that's his name, which is Brian. Brian James. No, look it up. Google it. Google it. <laughs> I know, but it's pronounced Brian. It is. Yeah. Why don't you shoot me in the head, Brian? See, but wow. 
Guys, Brian, Brian James. If you name your son Brian, just he's in the Fifth Element too. Spell it with an A. Um, he didn't do a whole lot. And then also, and I don't know if this is a serious, a fair critique because I mean the movie's only two hours long. Um, Man, he's been a lot better. But <laughs> whoa, is no kidding. Hitler? Yeah, you know what? Like it. You know, I'm it's called what is it called? Snide, Snide and Prejudice. <laughs> Paradactyl oh, woman man. from Beverly Hills. Oh, nice. He's in that. coming up next on the Good Ship Brothership. <laughs> he's in uh, Time Runner, which is the sequel to Blade Runner. <laughs> All right, let's stop looking at this. Okay, what were you saying? Uh, um, I think that the book tackles way more, way more interesting topics than the movie. Um, I think they, could have. I think they tackle a lot of the same topics in a different way. I like how. Um, how do androids dream of electric sheep has like this commentary on like extremely corporate religion kind of thing true um, that's not touched on literally at yeah. all in the film so in the book there's something called uh mercerism, called? mercerism. but i was thinking of the box empathy, the empathy box? box maybe i think yeah. it's just called the empathy. um and basically the main tenet of mercerism is that there's this box with a screen on it you grab the handles and you are placed sort of in the consciousness of this old man, Mercer, who's like their semi-deity. Um, He's like their kind of messianic yeah. figure, I guess. And he, the story goes that he was like cast into the, the land of the dead kind of thing um, and is trying to climb back out and people keep throwing rocks at him and you like experience his consciousness and uh, it's it's supposed to be something that helps you be more empathetic and stuff like that and then diametrically opposed to this and this also isn't covered in the film is buster friendly who is this tv presenter who manages to broadcast uh radio shows and television and stuff like that 23 hours a day so it's strongly suggested he's an android well, they say they never... he's an android do they say he's an android yeah. in the plot summary i was reading they said that it's just implied um well, um, well some people say he's an android yeah but i don't think it's known yeah, the no. bu- well the book doesn't really yeah. tell you anything but then he goes against mercerism and he seems to be an android um but at the same time he is also like trying to get this mob mentality kind of thing against this other mob mentality and i just think it's a really interesting commentary again on... they're two two su- two different diametrically yeah. opposed sides or are they yeah exactly and i think it's a really interesting commentary um on the perils of ascribing to a religion or any group it doesn't have to be a religion any sect of people purely because of the whole mob factor so i find that a really interesting topic um i think the book blurs the lines between what it means to be human and android more so and i think you really think so yeah and i think that a big part of that is the animals as well because of Uh, i think i can't get into all that i think that the animals especially the final one that you know, he comes upon um, the small one. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Okay, just making sure, because there's not a glimmer of yeah. comprehension in, your, in <laughs> My your dead eyes. Dim fish eyes. Yeah. Um, I think that I felt more compassion for the electric animals than I did for the androids, because you really don't spend much time with the androids discussing their motives yeah. and their, like, thoughts more than you get in that last yeah. scene between Bat- Beatty, Batty, and Deckard in the film. In the film, that final scene gives me, like, everything. And that's kind of like, that's the big reveal. Yeah, in, in a, a lot of ways. It, and I think that that was a beautifully done. And let's not forget, the ending of the book is very powerful, but oh, for, for different characters in different ways, yeah. and different conclusions are reached, which, now that I'm thinking about it, that's a really extraordinary thing. That the these two, they're uh, they're loosely, very loosely based, yeah. uh, loosely tied together. But they really reach completely separate conclusions yeah. on totally different topics. And I would like to say, as a sort of a non sequitur, mm. this is a pairing where if you've seen one, don't forego the other. Because I do that sometimes for sure. Where if I've seen the movie, I will be like, well, I'm not going to read the book because I kind of like it's, I've already lived it. But this is easily different enough that you can uh, you can experience both and be surprised by both. Yeah. And then, uh, where else was I going with that? Oh, I was just going to say that uh, in terms of understanding the androids, I actually think that the 
book does do a fantastic job and the scene I think of that explains them and shows that they're actually quite different than they are in the movie is where they go to uh, JS's apartment yeah. um, or he's JR in the book also just, just to let you know speaking of novel and, and, and film things Forrest Gump was a novel before yeah was a I knew that I watched Forrest Gump for the first time yesterday but that's a different discussion for a different day very charming um, great movie but I like when they go to JR's apartment and there's a spider in the sink, and they start clipping off its legs one by one to see how few legs it requires to move. Just like, not even as like a mean thing, just like out of curiosity. And I think that that is like a super telling scene about their total lack of empathy. And so I find scenes like that in the book actually very powerful. Yeah, because in the in the film too, they it was more focused on no, they do have empathy. Yeah. They do have feelings like legitimate feelings that are as legitimate as they have more feelings than Deckard like that's for sure or do they um and in the film that was kind of a weird because he's kind of trying to humanize them and then he just went and did that and he really in the book really doesn't try to make you feel sympathy or love towards the androids nearly as much as they try to in the in the film yeah i don't know i sort of disagree with that but we can't really get into that no yeah i i think i disagree i think i prefer the characters of the androids broadly speaking in the film more than in the book yeah yeah especially Beatty and batty and uh rachel i like both of those characters quite a bit more and then so yeah in closing i would say both are phenomenal i think i like the book more i feel like the book is more complete and uh it feels like it wastes no time, but it's also not rushed. Um, although I would say the same of the movie. Um, I I love the book's purposeful colorness, and although colorlessness, and I know that you said that was something that you didn't like, but I found it helped me uh, visualize more in a way. And as I've seen Blade Runner, you do sort of apply things from Blade Runner to the book yeah. uh, visually. We both read the book after seeing the movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so I would say if you experience one and you like reading and movies, read the book. I think you'd probably disagree, um, but I think both are great, and you should do both if you can. I think the I think the movie is a more remarkable experience than reading the book. The book is well written; it's good, with only that one major uh, flaw, that weird yeah. sidestep. Uh, I think the movie is still underrated. And like still, you think so? Yeah. Well, not underrated, I guess. I think it's still a bit of underwatched. A hidden, yeah, it's kind of a hidden gem. I think everybody should see it. Yeah, I because agree with I, that. I think like it's it's a shame that a movie like this, which is quiet and intelligent, uh, more so much more low key, so much more. I know I just said intelligent, but intelligent than something like Star Wars. Yeah. Any of the Star Wars movies could hope to be looks infinitely better. It's gorgeous. And there's no way that you can... Please don't... Please tell me you agree that it looks better than most movies that are made today. Oh, yeah. And that you'd rather yeah. watch it. Of course. It's... And that as, the, the look of it is more compelling than most films that have ever been made. As I said, I should reiterate, I think sometimes it didn't sell me on the fact that that could have been a reality, as it were. But, but I never think it's does it to its to? detriment. Yeah, that's what I was saying, is I still enjoy the shots yeah. of the spaceships. Sometimes it pulls me out of the experience a little bit, but I mean, and that's the, so the interesting, colors and the framing. I really didn't find it that, that the, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising, I think, I think it's more so that, I think they're just shot really, it's shot really tastefully, and we're saying all this artsy stuff, but at the end of the day, like, Blade Runner is just an amazingly good if you if you watch a movie, yes, Jason, I see you. I, see ju- you. I just want to make that face. If you watch movies now, you know, like something terrible, like Transformers or whatever, and you think, oh, that's way too much, just crashing and banging and exploding and useless, terrible dialogue and and sexism. Watch Blade Runner because you'll yeah. be rewarded with a an intelligent, strong, thought provoking, and beautiful. Uh, experience and you will not regret it yeah um not on netflix by the way the only last uh statement i want to make on like in terms of review and then i think i'm done that i loved about blade runner yeah didn't notice till the last time is the progression in the way it's shot all through the beginning like two-thirds three-quarters of the film 
there's almost no moving cameras. Like yeah, a few, a, lot of, a few times. A lot of static. But shots. it's almost all static. And then towards the end, there's so much more motion in the way it's shot, and it's just a great progression yeah. that helps increase like tension and stuff like that. What, That's what, just a cinem, cinematog, cinematographic. Cinema, I don't know. A cinematography. Uh, compliment i think that's really well done yeah yeah i and this this film makes such a strong case to me for the classic old cinema tricks of smoke and mirrors and using tiny models to build Uh things and build worlds because it does just have this tactile human touch to it that cgi although i would never you know throw the baby out of the bathwater i think the practical effects used in this film make a more human world than than green screen can ever hope to do and i yeah anyway pull up the doc for what we're looking at next time uh oh geez do we know i don't even know if we know what we're doing next time let's decide yeah okay uh here there brother shit normally we decide at least of all the times dallas wants to die at least once uh I don't know what I was saying. Okay, hang on. Let me collect my thoughts. We decide at least once. (laughs) (laughs) Normally we decide at least uh, like one show ahead of time we're going to do, but I think we forgot to do that. Yeah, we're we're not behind, but we might be. No, we're not really. We're around on time. Okay, so. Oh, man, we did did that, didn't we? Yeah. This is quite behind. This is pretty. This is very cringy, everybody. Okay. Oh my, we should almost add an addendum afterwards once we decide. Uh, Ho, Jason. Our recording software dropped out there. It was just us chattering a little bit, but it was... This it was pretty quality uh, stuff. Well, it was really quality. We had this actually. whole. It was like super candid. Sound like we stopped yeah. recording, but then we were talking about talking about all the money we yeah. s- we don't actually get from yeah. Johnny Greenwood, although and the but, Radiohead guys, but we do. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, well, but not it, it, not well, officially. It, well, in the Cayman, well, we in the Cayman we, Islands, really, but but, well, we, but this is in the really Cayman Islands. We yeah. So you get the gist. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Okay, let it run for a while.